At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome, everyone, to the From the Shadows podcast. I'm your host, Shane Grove, and with me, as always, the man who can't handle his iPhone, but yet he still goes by super producer, Jason. Greetings, everyone. <laughs> so, um, hey, we're, it's kind of, before we introduce our guest, who um, I'm super excited about, like, Jason, let's, what's going on around it? Like, we're under the lights, we're in front of the camera. Like, this is kind of big time, right? This is a special episode here. Yeah, we are actually being filmed. We're being filmed. Yeah, I will let you fill it in on the fill the, our audience in on the details. On well, that. I don't think I'm allowed to say any details. What? But we're, but, but we're, we're being filmed by, by, by uh, our good friend Phil Garrett is here. Yep. Um, from? From Escape from Death Block 13. There you go. Assistant, assistant director. Is that and producer? Is that what we... Yep. And an all-around great guy. Yes. Um, from, from the uh, action, number one action movie of the year. Yep. Escape from Death Block 13. Did I say that enough times? I don't know. I'm obligated. Like Yes. Yeah, times. you need to say that and plug that in okay. whenever you can. So we're doing it. We're doing a kind of a... Phil's here to film us for a, a kind of a cool documentary on George Bigfoot. Yes. Um, and, of course, we'll tell all the fans when um, it comes out, as long as our parts don't get cut. I don't know. Phil's done an awful lot of work. I don't think he's going to cut us. Yeah, uh, Phil, he probably was like, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't sign up to have that little beep go off every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just glad you trimmed your beard for the show. Ooh. All right, man. <laughs> so I'm, we're going to bring on our guest because our guest is um, – I've been trying, I've been begging, pleading for this gentleman to come on the show for 
probably almost since we started. And like every uh, every date I tried to get in high school, I kept getting put off. Okay, <laughs> I kept getting put off. But that's but a heck of finally I wore finally I wore him down. You wore him down. Just like you know, it's like I feel like I'm going to my senior prom. I finally wore him down. Um, so joining us is um, I guess w- giant chaser, <laughs> world renowned Jim Vieira. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I won't file a sexual harassment suit on you, but <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, it won't be the me too, me too moment. Um, but thanks for being persistent. Actually, I was on sabbatical. Uh, I, I take a when I write, I just tune out the world for you know like a year or something like that. But uh, thank you for having me on. And uh, yeah, I actually. In one of our episodes, me and my buddy Hugh, we knock on somebody's door and I quip to him, uh, I feel like I'm from the Church, uh, church of Giantology, and then we laugh. <laughs> <laughs> the Church of Giantology. That's fantastic. Well, so for our guests that don't, because, um, I mean, I remember you from, you and your brother Bill had a had a show called, called Search for Lost Giants on the History Channel. Um, I think we were talking before, it's been six, seven years ago now. So that's where I first kind of learned about you. And then um, you've appeared on numerous uh, other people's shows, including uh, Megan Fox, right? Mm-hmm. We, we talked about that. We, you yeah. know, we had a nice, nice little chat about nice Megan Fox. Nice little chat about that. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, our, and, and another guy, see, the, Jim, I, don't want you to, uh, I want you to feel special, but also <laughs> know that I've also been trying to get Josh Gates on the show, too. So, I mean, in my top three were, were you, Josh Gates, and, and Wes from Sasquatch Chronicles. Now, Wes and I have become buddies, but he still doesn't, he doesn't have time to come on the show yet. But, um, um, so I've got you. You're the first one off the list. I don't think, I think Josh Gates is big league in us. I think he's more than a prom, senior prom date. I think he's, <laughs> so, but, uh, but yeah, so you, so you've been, in the public eye with this, um, I don't know, I don't want to call it obsession, but this determination to let us know about the history of giants in America. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. give you a little background on myself. Um, I studied economics at the University of Massachusetts. I went to UMass. I always had an abiding interest in archaeology and anthropology. My father was kind of a struggling pipe fitter in the shipyards of Boston, and he told my brother and I to study business and finance and economics so we wouldn't be in the same situation as him. So we, we studied economics. We mined in Japanese at UMass. We were geared in that direction. This was the 80s, uh, you know, like the era of stagflation. But if the truth be told, that wasn't my passion at all. I could give a rat's ass. In fact, if I had to work in an office, I'd hang myself. So I uh, continued to, I not only study archaeology, anthropology, and history and geology, I, I'm kind of obsessed with uh, mysticism and esoteric uh, sources like, like uh, Edgar Cayce, Rudolf Steiner, the Theosophists. I do comparative analysis of religious documents and I've met with um, shamans and wisdom keepers and um, have done lots of ceremonies. Uh, so taken all together, I, I tried to take an objective look at the past and, you know, just 
present evidence without theorizing too much. And my brother and I did search for the Lost Giants. Then we did several more specials on the Lost Colony Roanoke for the History Channel. Uh, we got a third special put on hold when the, uh, the coronavirus hit. Uh, beyond that, I've been on Ancient Aliens and Josh Gates' show, like you said, and, you know, continue to write books and do tours and stuff like that. So, you know, it's um, uh, it's an all-consuming obsession, my, my search to piece together human origins and to not be um, dogmatic or, um, you know, um, narrow-minded about it. And that's its own set of uh, discussions about the dynamics that exist within science in the alternative uh, universe as well. I, you know, and all I do is deliver mail. I don't know what, I, I mean, how do you even? <laughs> he leads a fascinating I lifestyle. Say, I, like, mean, I love that. I can, I, I, I can immerse myself in research like that and be happy. I, I, this is, you know, this is all the stuff that I grew up thinking yeah. I would love to do. Yep. And yep. I mean, you're, you're, you're in it. Yeah, you're uh, doing it. I love it. I love Full it. Full time. So, so what was, so what got you really started on the subject of of the of giants? Then, like, what was the uh, eureka moment that you're like, okay, something's going on here, and I need to do some research. Yeah, absolutely, I do have a Da Vinci Code moment <laughs> that that I will tell you about. Uh, first of all, you know, we're avid hikers. I've been out here in Western Mass for about thirty years, and we live um, in right next to a large state forest in, in Holly, Massachusetts, and we'd hike all the time. And my brother and I started to find these structures, like like serpent walls with with uh, you know terminating ends that were two tons uh, in weight, with carved eyes and undulating uh, um, bodies and things like that, and all, all kinds of anthropomorphic forms. And things that look like they were Native American and not colonial. You know, the, the mainstream narrative is that Native Americans do not build with stone in New England, um, although in other parts of the country they certainly did. So I kind of pushed back against the idea and try to gather uh, data through uh, town and county histories and, and um, early colonial accounts of pre existing uh, walls, which obviously would be Native. Um, in construction. So that drew me in and I spent a lot of time studying, you know, mountains of, of, you know, thousand page town and history documents. And when I was reading the town history of Deerfield in Massachusetts here, um, about a half an hour away, I stumbled across George Sheldon, former state Senator, amateur archeologist, uh, the, the head of prestigious Deerfield Academy mentioned that in, he saw an eight foot skeleton, with a head as big as a peck basket and double rows of teeth unearthed in Deerfield. And it was examined by Dr. Stephen Williams, who uh, taught anatomy at Berkshire College and came from a lineage of physicians. So it really struck me as odd, like, this is a credible person, uh, former state senator, along with uh, an accredited physician measuring a stationary object and coming up with this description that is utterly bizarre, eight-foot-tall Massive jaw, massive skull, and double rows of teeth. So I said, what the hell is this? And I started to read through Middleborough, Mass, Martha's Vineyard, and I would, you know, seven foot eight, double rows of teeth, jawbone so big it would fit over the, the face of the finder. Uh, Martha's Vineyard, seven and a half foot tall skeleton, double rows of teeth, massive jawbone, and on and on. 
And in fact, I would find the same descriptions from one coast to the other, all the way to Catalina Islands in publications like the uh, Scientific American, uh, the Carnegie's literature, the Smithsonian's uh, ethnology reports. So within these voluminous academic documents in an era of inefficient communication, all over the United States, you have descriptions of giant skeletons with specific anatomic anomalies like double rows of teeth, massive jaw bones, and um, uh, huge skulls. So what I did often by respected scientists. So what I did was, you know, gather a lot of information and I ended up doing a TED talk where I discussed this and I didn't even make a case. I just laid it out like, isn't this interesting? You know, wow, look what I found uh, when I was looking for something else. And it ended up being the one, number one watched TEDx talk in the world for a couple of weeks. And then it was taken down uh, because it was considered, you know, scientifically invalid. So that that's that is uh, how I came about uh, studying this the strange subject. Well, well. So I want to ask now, because I think people are going to say, "Well, they're talking about giants." Okay, we're not talking about like thirty foot tall giants. We're talking about people or or beings that were around. Um, because now seven, eight foot tall people, you can turn on the TV, and you know the Cavaliers mm-hmm. got. Uh, you know, a guy that used to play for the Celtics, Taco, you know, he's seven foot six. Okay. And he looks, <laughs> even amongst the guys that are six foot eight, nine, he looks huge. But, but back then the average person was, I think I heard John Smith who was aboard the Mayflower was five foot one. Okay. So if he comes across people, seven foot tall, eight foot tall, they're going to seem like, you know, 10, 15 foot tall people. They're really going to seem like giants. So we're not really we're we're talking about giants in the sense that they're they they shouldn't have people shouldn't have been that big or weren't known to be that big at the time. But they're not. yeah no no yeah. I I understand your question and it's asked frequently. Uh, first of all, the number of seven and eight foot skeletons unearthed from Native American burial mounds uh, by Smithsonian scientists and, and other scientists. Um, is of a far greater proportion than the uh, incidence of, of over seven foot people in today's population. So it represents an anthropological mystery. Why were there so many giant native rulers and leaders um, from Patagonia all the way up to Virginia? Uh, the other thing is that one of the arguments is that, oh, the Spanish explorers, they were like five foot two and the native population was you know, generally five eight to five ten, which is true in the general population. But all the explorers you can name from Magellan to DeSoto to uh, Vespucci chronicled encountering eight and a half, sometimes nine foot tall or taller native chiefs that, um, you know, kind of boggle the imagination, like teenagers on their knees towered over the men. You know, it was it wasn't just like these guys were a couple inches taller than us. And essentially what we've established, like myself and my co-author Hugh Newman and other researchers like Greg Little, Andrew Collins, Ross Hamilton, is that um, there was an elite class, a shamanic class, if you will, that was so extraordinarily huge. It wasn't that they were just fed more than the general population. There was a genetic component to it. And, and and we have many accounts of uh, nine, 10, 11 foot tall skeletons as well. I'm not going to tell you that I've DNA tested a 12 foot tall skeleton, 
but there is plenty of uh, literature out there and documentation of utterly out of normal range and bizarrely tall skeletons being unearthed. Um, so I guess we'll get into what my theory is about what he, you know, where these beings came from. And I believe it's a, a story of genetic intervention. But this is much more than a couple NBA guys. This is like burial mounds that had eight and ten skeletons that were all over eight foot tall, which is, you know, absolutely unheard of um, in, in uh, normal society and of normal uh, homo sapien dimensions. Yeah, and, and the, yes, that part I do understand. I just don't want people to think we're talking about 30 foot tall, you know, 30 foot tall people people because then they're going to be like what that doesn't you know uh, although you may you may surprise me and say that you've unearthed the or somebody's unearthed <laughs> the but but take that interesting but take that so to take that first incident that caught your attention so what was was there people that disputed that um you know account by the by the former politician and the doctor or was it just there and it was just kind of lost to time yeah you know the, the, there's like a cottage industry of pseudo skeptics out there that aren't really interested in in uh, objective analysis of evidence they're kind of like i don't know trying to get back at somebody from dumping their books in high school or something or their brains don't make enough dopamine they like get off on being intellectually superior and then you have true believers who are also sometimes immune to logic and reason and can get drawn into conspiracies that have no basis in reality, like the QAnon garbage or whatever. So, you know, I try to meet in the middle and not really have an agenda. But I found that, you know, entering the academic world, uh, you ruffle a lot of feathers when you're from an, another discipline and you um, basically start talking about things that uh, don't fit in with the, you know, the prevailing paradigm. And I just, um, I got a lot of pushback. Like, yeah, I was told that these, all these uh, accounts were like hoaxes or mastodon bones or animal bones and just a bunch of, an amalgam of lame, um, um, you know, and dismissive ideas about it where, you know, I would point out that how can you have these accounts of double rows of teeth, you know, in all these town histories uh, by, you know, the, the local, historian collects all the stories and it's on page 643 obscurely buried about this anatomic anomaly that's very specific and you find it all around the country even in the smithsonian's own ethnology reports how do you dismiss that you know how can you even make an argument against that and then the burial mounds had um artifacts of the time you know native american artifacts uh within context these, these aren't mastodon bones these aren't animal bones they are uh, a documentation of a stationary object um, within a burial mound or an archaeological excavation. So I, I just made those points. Uh, but, you know, you get looped in. It's, it's like, I don't mind somebody disagreeing with me, but I find that, you know, um, there are often many professionals who don't just try to dismiss you. They want, they, they denigrate you um, for being, naive and stupid for for engaging in these topics right and and i think there's a lot of people who they push back against that they feel like these subjects don't get properly evaluated and they then they are ripe to get drawn into conspiracies with no basis in reality because they don't feel like 
anybody's really looking at the stuff, if you know what I'm saying. So there's an odd dynamic here that I like to address. But to answer your, your question, uh, yeah, it was generally accepted that these are like hoaxes and, and these are uh, just figments of people's imagination, which makes no sense. So that was like the general. So as you went further and further along and started uncovering all this documentation, then you were getting pushback from academic academia saying uh, these people were mistaken. They didn't know what they were seeing and stop wasting your time basically is what is what you're saying. Yes. I mean, that's yeah. Yeah. And if you watched our, our show in episode two, we follow up on an eight foot six inch skeleton that was found in the Ozarks yeah. at Steelville, Steelville, Missouri. So we go there, we find the cave, we find the location where the skeleton came up. We talked to the relatives of the person who unearthed it. We found photographs of a six foot guy laying next to this eight and a half foot skeleton. We uh, talked to the grandfather of, of the guy who, or the, in reverse, the grandson of of the guy who who uncovered it found the doctor's office where it was laid out by University of Missouri archaeologist, and we found the account where they boxed it up and they shipped it to the Smithsonian. Right, so that was in 1833. Front page of the Steelville Ledger, front page of the St. Louis Dispatch. We have photographic evidence. We have the original account. We have the specific measurements. We have the documentation that it goes to the Smithsonian. We take it to Todd Disatel, an evolutionary anthropologist at the University of uh, uh, New York University, who was on the show with us, and we just checked in with them, and he didn't know what to make of it. But I made the point that you can't tell me that this, this skeleton was not shipped to the Smithsonian. And with the Smithsonian claims that its tallest skeleton is a six foot three Sioux. Indian that had acromegaly, pituitary gigantism, which is a disease condition. In fact, this scientist I uncovered found over 27 and a half to eight and a half foot tall skeletons buried within, I mean, uh, documented within their own ethnology reports. And you say, how the hell can this be? I'll quickly say that Dr. Herlichka was a zealot, uh, zealous racist lunatic who was the head of um, anthropology for the Smithsonian from like 1900 to 1940. And he was wrong about a whole boat of things. He thought that uh, humans did not enter uh, North America before 2000 BC. He had a bunch of incorrect theories. And, and he was the one who said giants are no more. He did not address that his own scientists found it. He portrayed people who brought evidence of giants as uh, religious nuts or, or crackpots or hoaxers or whatever. So you have, and back then anthropology was bizarrely racist. It was all like pre-eugenics, I mean, Nazi eugenics stuff. And it was denigrating Native American people, like uh, anything that uh, defined their, their uh, civilization as sophisticated or, or uh, memorable was dismissed. So you have a bunch of weird undercurrents going on. But the moral of the story is it, these ideas were just dismissed regardless of the data that was presented. And so I felt like uh, I'm just not going to sit back and take shit from a bunch of assholes. You know what I mean? That I'm going to push back. <laughs> right. And, you know, I'm from the wrong side of the track. So it, where I'm from, if you run your mouth, you get your teeth knocked on your fucking throat. You know what I mean? So. Right. <laughs> So, hey, Jim, what do you think the academia, especially the Smithsonian, 
what made them sign on to to making all these extreme efforts to deny uh, things that they've taken and um, to this day that uh, are still not available to be researched anymore? I mean, what, yes. why would they do yeah. that? Well, see, I'm not a believer in, you know, that there's this boardroom of white guys smoking cigars and hiding information. You know, there's definitely conspiracies in this world. There's political assassinations, you know, MLK, John and Bobby Kennedy. If you, if you get a brain and you look at 9-11, you know, Building 7 and Thermite, it's, you don't have to be a crackpot to, you know, read all the, the uh, literature from engineers and architects and things like that. The thing is, you have to view these things on a case-by-case basis. But I do feel like uh, what you're up against, what we're all up against, is the human ego. Nobody admits, likes to admit they're wrong. There is so much cognitive dissonance out there. And now because of social media, especially, everybody's uh, preferences are weaponized. So everybody's in the cults of the left or the right <clears throat> or whatever your thing is. It's like religion and politics are totally polarized. Instead of objective evaluation of policy positions, it becomes, you know, you're on my team, you're not, which is, you know, that's not my cup of tea. But I, I do feel like... I think there's some dark and insidious forces on the earth. There's no question about it. We're, we're in an age of darkness and not light. And I think there are institutions that actively control and filter out information. But at the same time, I just think that there are, you know, like I know myself because I am friends with so many professionals. I've read all the literature and anthropology and archaeology and all the theories. And I just feel you get indoctrinated into a way of thinking that does not encourage um, looking at these things. So when you have findings that, like I'm talking about, they were considered an aberration. There was nobody motivated to put it all together. Because I'll quickly say that the idea that giants existed is like, it's antithetical to the idea of evolution, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. and but I would say, no, you can have coexisting realities. You can have uniformitarianism and catastrophism in geology, right? You can have an understanding of the growth of human society, but you also can have a lost civilization that was destroyed in the cataclysm. And in anthropology, you can have natural evolution, which I'm sure we all agree upon, but a genetic intervention that occurred at some point in history, like if you read the Sumerian texts from the Bible or any of the religious uh, or traditional descriptions of how humans were created giants are created in the same way they had this they are they are created through some form of genetic uh manipulation by these strange quote-unquote gods who show up all around the planet now i never believed any of this and i was kind of a dismissive skeptic around the idea of genetic intervention or extraterrestrial sources but i gotta tell you the same strange amphibious gods who are also hermaphroditic, they're all androgynous, show up in prehistory, teach, create humans, teach them the arts of civilization, created the giants and destroyed them in a flood. And you're like, whoa, you know, but Veracocha and Peru, androgynous, amphibious, create a god, Fushi in China, Oannes in Samaria, on and on and on. The entire world is littered with these beings <clears throat> that are iconography, um, iconographically um, memorialized in statues 
and in literature and in description with the specific anomalies I talk about. <clears throat> and I don't want to get long-winded, but this whole story, when you look at it, is, is like amazingly specific and ubiquitous. Well, you just blew our minds. Jason's, you know, got on my shirt here a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, so well, let's go in a little bit further then about that, um, you know, that, that action that took place that see, you know, the genetic intervention and, mm-hmm. you know, how you feel that took place. Obviously it had to take place worldwide more than one place. Yeah, there had to have been a cabal of of people that were in charge that had to agree upon this. They, Why? Well, yeah, I, I think he's talking about some people that came from somewhere else. Well, <laughs> well yeah, yeah. I'll I'll give, I'll give you the um, well. First of all, Robert Temple is one of the most brilliant academics I've ever encountered. He is a professor of history and science, and he wrote the serious mystery in the seventies, and basically. The guy is, I, if you've ever read his books, I mean, uh, there are certain authors who are so phenomenally thorough and intelligent. It, it's like depressing. You know, it's like <laughs> trying to studying uh, Einstein's scientific proofs and, and just really like, I could never attain that level. It's, it's kind of intimidating. But anyways, Temple lays out the story about these amphibious gods who showed up. And he, he pinpoints in Mali, Africa, the isolated Dogon tribe um, was visited in the 1930s by a pair of French anthropologists. Excuse me. And Olga Mattelli, the blind elder of the Dogon people, told the anthropologists, who they wrote books about this, um, that there were beings from the star system of Sirius who were amphibious. They were fish-like and human-like beings, that a blend of both, that came to teach um, the arts of civilization, advanced astronomy, and these beings were hermaphroditic. They were androgynous. This is all laid out. The iconography, the statues talks about it. The French anthropologists relay the message. Uh, it's very specific. And they knew about Sirius B, the binary white dwarf star that was not um, understood to exist until the telescopes understood it. Like, I don't know when the hell it was, in the, um, the 40s or the 50s or something like that. So there was a lot of pushback to Temple's idea that he just pointed this out as an academic and he got turned into this lunatic. But then him and myself and other researchers figured out the same thing happened in China. The Chinese people worship Fuxi, this androgynous, amphibious, half human, half fish-like creature. And I have images of it, him, her, whatever you want to call it, on the old Chinese tombs. Then Veracocha in Peru is amphibious, androgynous, and there's all these statues with fish scales and fish tails. He creates the giants. He creates humans. Oannes in Samaria shows up out of the sea and teaches the arts of civilization. Um, Olukun in West Africa. You can't believe the entire world is littered with the same depiction of these beings. They're all androgynous. They're all... <clears throat> extraterrestrial amphibious beings who teach the arts of civilization, including Samaria, where we have advanced civilizations that, that understood math, geometry, trigonometry. In Egypt, Isis and Osiris. Well, I, I know I'm getting along with that. I, I really want to be specific here and to show you that this isn't no, just some fine. Fine. diluted yeah. fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, Isis fine. and Osiris 
are also these effendious beings at the temple of Edfu uh, at, at um, uh, what is it? I'm sorry. It's the building text that are written on the temple of Edfu. I've been there three different times. It says that the Eniad are uh, androgynous gods on the temple text right on the wall. So all these sources all around the planet are saying the gods that showed up are all hermaphroditic amphibious beings. They're all brother and sister. They're all husband and wife. Uh, Fushi and Nuar in China, Viracocha and his wife. It's like, whoa. And then you realize, why did these the humans try to keep the bloodlines going? Like, like the brothers and sisters getting married in the uh, pharaonic um, dynasties in Egypt, and they did it in Peru, and they did it in other places. So this entire mythological tale comes together when you realize that it, it apparently looks like humans were not a matter of, of uh, natural evolution. There was genetic intervention, just like all the Sumerian texts uh, talk about. And I hope, like I said, that that uh, clarifies the, uh, the traditional oral tradition, religious document kind of sense of, of what has gone on in the past. And an academic would say, that, you know, I just took tens of acid and I'm out of my mind. And I would say that, in fact, Carl Sagan is the one who said that these myths of, of amphibious gods showing up and teaching humanity need to be investigated more. And I've taken him up on that offer for the last 25 years or so. And it ties in with the story of giants as well. So, so what, so they came in, um, if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get this straight. So they came in, and there were certain humans that they uh, genetically modified. Not everybody got that. No, I think it, it's, it sounds like they – it wasn't – that there might have been some dead-end um, experiments possibly, like Denisovans and Neanderthals yep. or Homo habilis, and that they altered them, and then humans emerged as something else. <clears throat> I'm not entirely sure. The traditions just basically state that humans are a byproduct of genetic intervention. It's like in the Bible, it's the clay and blood and genetic material. It's the same thing in the Quran. It's the same thing in Peru and, and other places. Like all the gods that I just mentioned, they specifically create humans with clay and earth and genetic material. And it sounds like, you know, it's like a blend of some extraterrestrial amphibious creature and one of the primate species on earth none of us have a time machine but the traditions clearly state that humans are a byproduct of of um, this kind of genetic intervention and humans are, are the fucking weirdest creature anyways you know what i mean if you look some doctor wrote a book about it like there's all kinds of things like our our sensitivity to the sun uh it, it seems like we're on the wrong planet uh, i gotta say for a lot of reasons <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a, <laughs> so 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 here in North America. Then, um, some of these civilizations, you know, obviously we think they migrated across the land bridge from uh, China and Russia and stuff, and that's where the giants that were that you're discovering and uncovering came from. Then, right? I mean, is that what we're to? I mean, that's what we gotta believe right that they're well, they're descendants yes. of those um so so if well, they no were... no I, i'm gonna say you're leading the witness in a good way 
that <laughs> because the end results of this is that all the mystics, Edgar Casey, Rudolf Steiner, Madame Blavatsky, Plato, the Freemasons, the Rosicrucians, oral and you know oral traditions around the planet all say that Atlantis was an actual continent in the middle of the Atlantic that was destroyed in the cataclysm roughly 13,000 years ago. And I will say now that um, the Younger Dry's impact hypothesis, if you follow Randall Carlson and uh, Graham Hancock, it's basically been scientifically verified by an international team of scientists called the Comet Research Group that a cataclysmic almost planet-killing event happened 13,000 years ago, right when Plato said Atlantis sank. So this destruction in the Great Flood essentially has been verified by science. And a couple months ago, foot, child's footprints in New Mexico were found uh, in the mud with grass seed embedded in them. So they had the exact specific date of 23,000 BC, which blows up the Clovis barrier. So I've been harping on this and Graham Hancock and others that humans were certainly in the United States much earlier than the land bridge date of 13,000 BC. So now we have incontrovertible proof of that existing as well. Plus, we have sites like Karahan Tepe and Gobekli Tepe in Turkey, which are the most massive megalithic sites in human history. But they're also at least 12,000 years old, which is another mind-bending scientific find that's been unfolding. So all these scientific points of evidence are, are showing us that this idea of a lost world in an advanced civilization is highly probable at this point. So the, the idea is that actually extraterrestrial intelligence is founded. That's what is said about this, this continent in the middle of the Atlantic. Like we reside alongside uh, Aboriginal groups and Indigenous people in the rainforest with uh, cell phones and skyscrapers. There were like uh, Paleolithic people, uh, Salutrians, Clovis people that coexisted behind a, a side, a highly advanced civilization 50, 200,000 years ago. And this civilization is the engineers, the, the Prometheus-like genetic creators who are highly advanced from an extraterrestrial civilization and whose influence eventually spread around the world as they, you know, taught the arts of civilization and were genetic uh, creators of the human race. That, that is like the, the alternative view of what took place there. And Edgar Casey specifically states that giants and little people were part of the population of Atlantis and they spread across the world and the giants showed up in the British Isles after the flood. The giants showed up. Sometimes they were malevolent, like the Native Americans talked about, the, these ancient wars with these giant people. Um, and there was also the tall ones, like the benevolent uh, teachers who showed up, the shamanic class. So this, and, and you know, once again, if, if an academic heard would it, my 20-minute diatribe there, they would, you know, portray me as out of my mind rather than, you know, objectively analyzing the traditional evidence that indigenous people actually talked about and wrote down or transmitted. This is what they thoroughly believe. I have lots of friends who are Zuni and Hopi wisdom keepers. I've sat in ceremonies, you know, ayahuasca ceremonies in South America with my, my uh, indigenous friends and stuff. And they tell me the same specific story about the creation and the nature of, of what has gone on in earth. Hey, like we have talked about this before, like when you talk about the little people, about how 
in Europe, especially where the trolls, the fairies, the gnomes, you know, um, everybody thinks it's their myths or folklore. Okay. Well, yeah. well, where did it come from? It came from because those things actually existed if they still don't exist today. And that's what the people were talking about. Like, it's not some, you know, CGI, you know, science fiction, like people thousands, hundreds of thousands of years ago, weren't just making up science fiction stories. They weren't, they weren't, uh, J.R. Tolkien, uh, you know, yeah, we, wasn't around. Yeah, we, we got too many people that, uh, too many different, uh, cultures acknowledge yeah. their existence. Yeah. And have the same, like you said, the same kind of the flood story, the giant, the creation story, you know, it's all, it's so similar across the world. And, uh, Absolutely. That, that, that's a great point that, you know, you have these traditions that are very remarkably similar, especially like on isolated Pacific islands. Um, you know, Carabate, you have an anthropologist, I.G. Turbert, who showed up in the 40s and he lived with the, the Onamene, the, the, the elders there. And there are giant footprints in the rock there with six toes. And he wrote a book about it. This is a, a mainstream anthropologist in the 40s. And there's pictures in his book I have in my PowerPoint presentation. Like the old guy's foot is in this, you know, footprint that's like seven times his size. And they said, this is the time the giants lived here. And they had six fingers and toes. And then the giant in the Bible of Gath has six fingers and toes. And then the giant of the place of emergence in Botswana has six fingers and six toes. And the entire globe, I do, a, I do an entire one-hour talk, it could be like 10 hours, where I show slide after slide of places I visited all around the earth with giant hand prints and giant uh, toe prints of six fingers and six toes. And the traditions of the indigenous people state that. The indigenous people, they would choose like oftentimes women, young girls, to transmit, transmute uh, and, and um, transmit they're all traditions because they were so important. So it's not like our society where you write out a bunch of statistics. It's given in these uh, these stories that are remembered. Like, like um, if you hear Native American stories, you like you're like, well, that's a fanciful child's tale. It's like, no, they're often correct portrayals of ge geological activity and, and you know accounts of things that occurred but they couched in a different kind of way mm -hmm. so they can be transmitted to the population but you're absolutely right the idea you know i think there is like a there's a strange uh, interface with another reality a multi-dimensional uh, interfacing which is happening here when you get into the realms of like like little people and stuff like that but i also believe there's a hard and fast reality i'll quickly say that uh in 2003 on the Isle of Flores in Indonesia, anthropologists discovered a three-foot-tall human relative called the Hobbit. And in fact, at first, they thought it was island dwarfism because of the isolated uh, characteristics of Flores Island. They thought everything shrunk down, like the mini mammoth and all the humans. But then they found 900,000 years ago, an even smaller contingent came out of Africa and moved over to the Isle of Flores. <clears throat> and then the Denisovans are this human cousin that was found uh, in 2007 at the Denisova Cave in Siberia. And the only evidence they had for the longest time was teeth that are so massive that they thought they were the teeth of cave bears. 
they sent him to the Max Planck Institute to be um, se- uh, DNA sequenced, and they found out that they were a human cousin that mated with humans and Neanderthals over 40,000 years ago. And about six months ago in China, they found a dragon man skull, a Denisovan skull, which is absolutely enormous, which is at least 146,000 years ago. So the idea that our, all our ancestors were small uh, creatures is, is not true. We have very small human cousins and very large human cousins that have been verified by science. And I'll come around to your point of oral traditions all around the world <clears throat> lay out the same case um, that is so beyond coincidence, you have to engage in cognitive dissonance to not look at it objectively and say, this this has to have some some ring of truth. Yeah, and I feel like, yeah. And, and science, science doesn't do that because it has transformed itself into an atheistic cult. And I'm, I'm not anti-science at all. I love science, but, you know, basically every scientist friend of mine, they're more afraid of ayahuasca than they are of Atlantis. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. the scientists of old, they were like Pythagoras and Plato. They were all masters of metaphysics. They all were like spiritually oriented. They had a holistic viewpoint of reality. You know what I mean? They weren't just like uh, super uh, hyper isolated on, on one aspect. So to the larger point, I like to look at the holistic and the more, um, I don't know, uh, I, a multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary approach to these problems. I feel within that, that zone is where the answers lie. Well, you, you know, and it's funny you say that, but, and we, and you don't like today us in society, we, we wouldn't know unless you go back and you read what was going on a hundred, 150 years ago, but that's, what society was like. It was more spiritualistic. It was more holistic. It wasn't until seemingly like the last hundred, well, it's probably been like 120 years ago that science became a rigid, uh, hard fact. This is how we're going to explain things. And 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 that's not the way science is supposed to be. No. I mean, absolutely. You got the scientific method prove science. And you can't just say, well, this is the way it's going to be. This is science. No, uh-uh. we followed the scientific methods, methodologies in order to increase our knowledge on a subject. And it's like they don't want to do that anymore. I, I completely agree. And like I said, it's just like a dogmatic cult. And it's not uh, it's not so obvious that the, the cognitive dissonance is going on. And, and, you know, like I. It's on both sides, too, because I'm sure you guys have encountered people who are uh, utterly unhinged because there's no guardrails and there's they live in an ecosystem of conspiracies that have no basis in reality and that they're, they're immune to, to logic and reason. We've, you had know, a couple, I, I, we've had a couple. Yes. yes we <laughs> <laughs> but you're right that the scientific method is is where it's at and that hasn't been followed. In the late 1800s, there was this war against religion. And, and science and science obviously went one, although, you know, the way that religion was constructed, there, there's a lot of flaws, but there were a lot of what you would call religious ideas that align with esoteric ideas and oral traditions of indigenous people that ring true and have validity, like the idea of a great flood. You know, it's been verified by science, the idea of giants having some kind of reality and the genetic anomalies like uh, polydactylism, uh, having some some um, basis in reality as well so it you know basically science throughout 
10,000 years of all traditions, right? And then you, you couple that with the destruction of the Maya codices in the Library of Alexandria. And then we've been stumbling around the dark like the freaking Middle Ages, even with our advanced science. And we have scientists who are male-dominated, left-brained thinkers who have abandoned the, the metaphysical side of life, the quest to understand what the fuck we're doing on this planet, what the, the nature of the soul is, um, you know, all these larger questions, and to have an intuitive sense of what is right and to follow your gut. That's all been abandoned for the most part. So no wonder why we're in the shit storm we're, we're in, because <laughs> we've abandoned logic, insanity, and reason for a cult of proving you're right. And yes. that doesn't even follow the freaking scientific method nine times out of ten, you know? No. Well, and, and, and I think what gets, what gets lost is, is just because we have more technology today, it doesn't mean the people that are doing the thinking and, and doing these processes and, and trying to discover that we're not smarter than Plato and Aristotle or no. any of this. I mean, those people were probably a lot smarter uh, than anybody walking around today. It's yeah. just that they didn't have, I mean, having Twitter and Facebook and stuff doesn't make you smarter. It actually no, it dumbed, it has actually it dumbs us, dumbs yeah. us down. Of course. That. Yes. Yeah. Opposite effect. Yeah. But they uh, had it. They did have a different mindset, though. You know, they had a different mindset than what we have today, and it really appears that um, they're the powers that are controlling things today don't want us to explore certain topics because for for some reason it doesn't maybe jive with their narrative or or whatever. But they don't want us to go down that. They there, want there to was, control. There's more people. What's going on. There was more people like Jim. Yeah. Okay, back, I, I think. Oh, absolutely. I think back, there's more people like Jim thinking yes. outside the box, doing their own yep. um, sort That's of. That's why I'm 100% for what he's doing. I love it. Uh, and nice. I, and I, I have almost that. I've almost heard every one of our listeners probably pull over in their car probably or stop so. what they're yeah. doing and like, geez, I better get a pencil and a yeah, piece of paper Yeah, I got to get out. this guy. <laughs> I got to start writing down. I mean, what? this is like a smorgasbord of, yes. of stuff to go just – like, there's probably 200 research topics just alone in this first first, first 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah, it's funny because it, so much of this ties in together. And I, I've been at this for like 35 years. I started in my mid-teens. I read, you know, and I don't want to talk up my game. I, I'm a believer in actually, like, immortality of the soul and reincarnation. Like, my movie character this time around is like the freaking Rain Man. Like I can't, I can't take care of my basic needs. I got plenty of weaknesses, but I can download massive amounts of information. I in fact had a traumatic brain injury when I was playing football and I had the seizure disorder that I, that I got from it, a really bad intractable one that I, that I cured uh, from doing ayahuasca and psilocybin uh, ceremonies, like long ceremonies for weeks and months in the rainforest, uh, Hailed it. So for like 20 years, I haven't taken any medication. I have no auras. So it's a cool, you know, uh, side story to that. But I started like reading all the non-dualists like Lao Tzu and Buddha, the Upanishads. And I'm in, like in high school and I don't even know why. I just was compelled to read and to read and to read Rudolf Steiner and Alice Bailey and Madame Blavatsky and the Rosicrucian and Freemason literature and on and on and on. And I've been at it for like 
35 years <coughs> and trying to piece together a story, like a holistic narrative about what's going on in this planet, what is the nature of reality, uh, where the universe of time and space came from, you know, but what, you know, what occurred here in the past. And I wasn't, once again, anti-science. It just didn't ring true. The evidence didn't line up. I, I spent so much time with people who were indigenous people who studied uh, and, and transmitted their oral traditions. And I just found that the societies had so much more integrity. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, and our, our society is such a, a whole house of like, um, you know, Elon Musk's and it's, it's like Vegas, you know, the, our entire Western culture. <laughs> We've turned yeah. into one big Vegas. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. And, and even in the ancient mysteries world, I know plenty, there's so many bullshit artists and, and grifters and, and, and um, you know, I work with the networks and they don't want the truth. They want dry humps and, and false promises to the audience, which we, mm -hmm. we don't accept and we fight with all the time. And uh, so we have, you know, a bankrupt culture and we, it's good to admit that. And it's just like, and, and I'm not talking my game up, but I will say that I live in a 10 by 14 cabin on my friend's property. I have no possessions. I'm like a freaking monk. Uh, I basically, uh, Stonework pays all the bills and I am, and nobody got the hooks into me. You know what I mean? I'm, I, I don't have an agenda. Um, I'm say spiritual, but not religious. I don't denigrate anybody's beliefs, whether an atheist or whatever. I'm not doing this for any other reason than I'm just fascinated by the truth. And I feel like people who've explored the areas that I am exploring get denigrated and marginalized as, as like anti-scientific uh, and naive and gullible people. And I try to make coherent arguments to dismiss that idea but at the same time saying that you, you got to take these subjects on a case by case basis uh, and evaluate them objectively. So somebody could say, ah, that guy's out of his mind. But I think a lot of people would say, you know, maybe he's not right. Maybe I don't agree with him, but I don't feel like this guy is uninformed or has ill intent, if you know what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. I mean, I they could say you might be crazy, but at least you are an expert in your crazy. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's they can't miss say that you do not know what they can't it is just you dismiss what of. you're yeah. saying as nonsense as much as they would like to yeah. I, i'm sorry but they can't yeah i I'll, I'll tell a quick story i got a friend dr andy white who's a, a skeptic and a teacher of anthropology who um he moved to illinois and his family but um i taught or I, I presented at his anthropology class at the university of south carolina two times in the last couple of years <clears throat> and my last presentation <clears throat> was about these amphibious fish, human-like beings who showed up all around the world. And the students loved it. And it was funny. And uh, I took all these questions. I did a presentation for like an hour. I showed all the images, all the literature, all the accounts. Um, and then I took questions for like an hour. And Andy and I would take long walks in the state forest and talk about these subjects at end and you know he's he's skeptical but he doesn't he's not he's not like a dismissive asshole you know we're like friends and we discuss this and right. i understand how science works so we can like talk about uh dna testing and things like that right. but basically he could not 
he could not come up with a, you know, a dismissive argument for it. He's just like, he's, he calls me like the fish God guy now and stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> he really and truly, and the kids in the classroom, you know, if, if I had to put them in front of a, you know, a lie detector, they would probably say, uh, you know, there, there seems to be reality for this, this incredibly bizarre story. And I think if most people, um, like I do these presentations at you know, conferences, I got to say, you know, I, for an hour and a half or two hours of accounts, scientific evidence, slides, verification, most people who are open-minded are like, holy hell, there is a story here. I don't know what it is. Maybe you don't have everything in place, but there, there is no way to dismiss this rationally. You know, that's what I feel. <clears throat> well, okay, so I've, I've been writing down a couple questions here that I, I definitely want to run by. So, so when we talk about the existence of giants in North America. So are they, do you believe they are somewhat tied to the native Americans? Like they belong, like, like each tribe or each culture had these giants or were they the, the beginning of each of these different tribes? Is that something that you have thought about or considered? Well, there's two stories basically that occur. And one is that, Probably the late Pleistocene, you know, from 12 to 15,000, 20,000 years ago, many Native tribes say that there were giants who were cannibalistic, who would attack their people. Um, there's there's great stories where Buffalo Bill Cody, he has a thigh bone that's absolutely enormous. And the Native chief is telling him about these, uh, these giants who would basically be able to um, capture Buffalo uh, by themselves and, and take them down. <clears throat> they were so enormous and that they were often portrayed as having red hair and um, sometimes six fingers and six toes. There's petroglyphs all over Baja, California, with one tribe uh, shooting arrows at another tribe, and, and one tribe has six fingers and toes, and the other has five fingers and five toes. And the ones with the polydactyly, a giant size, there's all kinds of interesting um you know, bits of evidence uh, around that. <clears throat> but then there was the idea that there was, there were wisdom bringers who showed up, the tall ones, <clears throat> the giant shamans and the wisdom keepers who would, uh, are the ones you found bur buried in the burial mounds all around the United States. Okay. No, I'm sure you're familiar with all the burial mounds. You're in Ohio. Oh, right? yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Miami's Cyrus, actually. Right, exactly. Miamisburg, right? Uh, in Miamisburg, mm -hmm. I have an account from 1897. <clears throat> this is just to, you know, kind of solidify this point. Uh, they unearth an eight and a half foot skeleton. Anthropologists all around the world, they come and they examine it. They're, they're, they're astounded by the size. It's listed in the, some of the largest giant skeletons ever found. Thomas Wilson, head of anthropology for the Smithsonian in the 1890s, he comes, he verifies this defined. He calls it remarkable. It's all written down. I have a hand-drawn picture of the skeleton laid out. And the same year, um, renowned paleoanthropologist, uh, his name's escaping me. It'll come back to me. But the head of the Carnegie um, finds an eight-foot-and-a-half to nine-foot skeleton at McGee's Rocks Mound in Ohio. I'm sorry, in Pennsylvania. So you have an eight and a half and basically an eight and a half to nine foot skeleton verified by the heads of the most um, highly regarded scientific institutions 
the same year in 1897. I documented my book. I talk about my presentation and it never gets talked about. Like, are you kidding? Um, how can these things fall through the cracks? You're, you're measuring a stationary object, uh, you know, that, that um, anybody, you know, if you guys measured a femur bone and it was, you know, 29 inches long, you'd say, holy shit, that's a nine foot skeleton. In fact, in 18, 1873, uh, the Smithsonian Ethnology Report and Thomas W. Perrin is an archaeologist who unearthed in Alton, Illinois, a 36-inch skull. The circumference was 36 inches. Oh, my so that's goodness. Got a, right? Yeah. And along with other skulls. But what happened was they crumbled the dust after it was exposed to the air. And the 44th annual report of the Smithsonian, Augustus Mitchell in, in uh, Georgia, Amelia Island, Florida, I mean, unearthed an over-seven-foot skeleton with double rows of teeth, a third set of teeth growing in one of the jaws. Yeah. This is a, a physician, by the way. And he said that the skeleton, the skull was giant. He put it up in front of him and it crumbled away after the atmosphere hit it. Right. So this is in the Smithsonian's own rec- uh, accounts that a lot of these skeletons did not, you know, some of them were put on display and, and, and analyzed and stuff, but oftentimes it crumbled to dust. The moral to the story is that the Native Americans, you know, it seems that their leaders oftentimes were giant-sized, and they have these oral traditions, just like in England and other places, that there was a cannibalistic tribe that they warred with, just like in the Bible. And I'll quickly say that Veracocha in Peru, he creates the giants. They become cannibalistic assholes who are unruly, and he <laughs> sends the flood to destroy them just like in the Bible. Uh, it's like, okay, yeah. how can the same story from thousands and thousands of years ago on Lake Titicaca and the Bolivia Peru border mm. say the same thing as the Bible? And Albina shows up. She's the one of the founders of Britain, and she has sex with these demonic entities called the Incubi and creates a race of giants, right? Yep. And the same thing, you're right? So there's all this supernatural genetic freak show shit going on that's highlighted in these religious documents in the Sumerian texts, in the Bible, in the oral traditions of Peru and other places. So it's like, what is really going on here? This seems to be, you know, it's like dark magic or, or, or these malevolent genetic manipulation or something. There's like a freak show sci-fi story of our past that if you talk about it, you get regarded as, as anti-scientific. But I, yeah. think, I think that's the wrong question. Which is which is straight okay. Which is <clears throat> which is strange because you know, like you said, in the Bible it talks about the giants and the Nephilim and and, and the mm-hmm. same. Fl- so you would think that it would be way more mainstream because it's because we're trying to everybody's always trying to support the Bible scientifically. Right. Okay, by but they want to forget about all the stuff that's in the Old Testament that's talked about. But I mean, they they want to like, okay, we found the site of this, we found the site of that, we found these artifacts that prove the chimera and things of that nature. Yeah, and Um, and so why why are we why are they poo pooing? You know, and I know it's not entirely scientific, but you do have scientists trying to find stuff, archaeologists and and such. To, to try to prove the stuff in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So there are 23 different accounts of, of giants in the Bible. There are different whole rate Rephaim. There, there's uh, I think it's Zam zoom in. There, there are these, these tribes of giants who are listed. Moses sends out scouts 
um, to check out these lands. And they come back and describe that they, they, they were grasshoppers uh, in the sight of these giants. And, and once again, the giant of Gath has six fingers and six toes. There are many, many specific mentions of giants. The uh, Og of Bashan, his bedstand is has him at like 13 foot, six inches tall. <clears throat> so you have that. And you talk about the chimeras. Edgar Casey, the sleeping prophet, um, who gave all these medical readings, he actually talked about, he went into this trance-like state, and he was a conservative Christian, so he was very disturbed by what came back through his trance-like readings. He, um, the, he, he basically interfaced with the Universal Akashic Library, he said, where he would go into this, uh, the, this dimension of the library of existence, and he would read from it. It was really interesting. But what he found was, or what he transmitted was like reincarnation being a reality, these lost civilizations existing like Atlantis. And he got into um, the readings and the literature that were presented from his, his, you know, astral travels, if you will. He said that in Atlantis, they were hybrid creatures that were created. They were genetically created. Mm. And many traditions also say the same thing. And that, in fact... In Assyria and uh, Egypt, all of the temple walls, you see these weird chimera-like creatures. You have the Minotaur and, and Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Basically, all of these cultures have this belief in these hybrid beings. And they say after the flood, these creatures basically escaped or came along with survivors uh, of this lost continent. And that could be the Bigfoot creature that, that some people seek out. So... There was genetic intervention to create like all these uh, this zoological nightmare of different forms, because if you landed on this planet and you went all around the world and you saw temples like the Temple of Bellos littered with these beings that are like have hooves and, and human heads and tails, you'd be like, what is this? It's utterly dismissed. But all the traditions state that they are a byproduct of ancient engine, uh, ancient genetic engineering. So that ties in, in the Bible specifically talks, they talk about lion men in the Bible and these other beings. And the Old Testament is like an acid trip. You know, if you, it's like. (laughs) That's one way of putting it. Yeah. (laughs) So the moral of the story is all these traditions I talked about, in fact, three years ago, once again, in Winterbourne, in in Kent's, uh, in, in England, they found evidence that ancient Britons believed in high, they had a, a hybrid burial where they took a bunch of animal parts and put them together to constitute a hybrid creation. This isn't like, you know, BBC news or something. This isn't <clears throat> like a, this is a frontline uh, story, a scientific uh, finding. Mm. Basically the ancient Britons had the same beliefs as the Egyptians and the Peruvians and these other cultures of, of these hybrid beings having, you know, uh, validity in the past. So you have, once again, add that layer to giants, little people, floods, uh, advanced civilizations, lost lands, six fingers and toes, on and on, uh, androgynous fish people showing up to teach the arts of civilization. And then you start to get to a point, you're like, I cannot believe how many points of evidence exist in these uh, geographical locations that had no contact for thousands and thousands of years. It is so beyond coincidence. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills 
because I am the one that's being told that I'm out of my mind, if you know what I'm saying. Well, all you, <laughs> all you just did was really uh, provide more talking points on, okay, what's, what is Dogman? Or like right. you said, what is Bigfoot? Mm-hmm. You know, the stuff that we really talk about on the show a lot uh, right. from eyewitnesses. Um, and, you know, in fact, one of our uh, one of our members who's not here with us tonight, the judge, who's an actual judge here in the county, okay, had a dogman experience when we were in high school, okay? And, you know, he knows what he saw. I mean, he's a very <laughs> respected and reputable person. Mm-hmm. And this just ties into, like, what you're saying like these creatures at one time were it was commonplace for them to roam the earth and absolutely and and why wouldn't they why couldn't they still be somewhere you know or part of the a part of what's going on oh definitely i mean you can't rule it out no no no, not at all the thing is you you have the yeti you know you have like thousands Mm -hmm. of years ago you have traditions of the same creature that's been, you know, Native American tribes, they have like, you know, a million different names for the Sasquatch out West. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the natives were seeing this, you know, were they seeing swamp gas or whatever for thousands of years? It, it, <laughs> well, nobody, <laughs> nobody questions the cave paintings of them seeing Buffalo, uh, them seeing wolves, them seeing, you know, the different flying, flying objects. They, they, they never, they never question right? the stuff that we accept. But then if there's a picture of a, of a Bigfoot type creature, they're like, oh, that was just their imagination. Well, okay, were they imagining, the, you gotta believe they were imagining the buffalo and the coyotes mm-hmm. and whatever else. I mean, you can't, yeah, you can't just pick and choose, you can't just pick which and, is yeah. what they're trying to do. It's like somebody trying to protect their narrative. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. well, science is built on a, on a house of sand. And one of the, uh, the main points of emphasis is that indigenous people, <clears throat> Are kind of uh, it's portrayed as as um, superstitious and and um, mm-hmm. basically you know not understanding what they're seeing you know basically that you know the, these people somehow are you know maybe well intentioned but they're, they just don't they're, they're they don't have the intellectual they're, yeah they're not yeah. intelligent as the rest of of what we are today you know exactly and you're you're absolutely right that you know and my my point is. Not only are people seeing um, this creature now in, in abundance for thousands of years all around the world, the same creature and other creatures, the Mothman. Mm-hmm. There was a multi. There's another aspect of this. Like there is uh, Manly P. Hall is one of the greatest thinkers in Freemasonry history, and he Reagan sat at his feet and would learn from him. Uh, I, I didn't know that until recently. So Manly P. Hall, the secret of all ages. Read his book if you're interested. It goes through all that stuff. He talks about Atlantis as as a place that existed. Let me also say that Ignatius Donnelly wrote about it. He was a congressman. Voltaire believed in Atlantis. Plato, uh, Herodotus. There are 200 uh, post-Platonic references to it. The skeptics say that, oh, Plato was the only one to talk about it. That's not true at all. It was called Agigia. It was called on the, the uh, building text in the Temple of Edfu. The land of the primeval ones was the continent in the middle of the Atlantic where the gods, the androgynous gods, came from. Uh, Tolkien, H.G. Wells, they all said that they, they thoroughly believed in Atlantis. That's why people love the Lord of the Rings, because it's based on Norse and Celtic mythology mm-hmm. about a lost world. 
that where these giants and little people and wizards and shit lived. Mm. And we are told that we can't deal with reality and we are engaged in escapism rather than we're following our intuitive sense that there was a, like a science fiction story of the past. Now, science believes in slow and rigid uniformitarian progress. So they could never believe that things were different in the past than they are now. But the traditions state that in the past, things were completely different. And there was a dark and light battle in these ancient uh, lands. That's what Manly P. Hall talks about. Right. Where there was dark wizardry and dark genetic manipulation and insidious behavior that that seeps through in our movies and these ideas of wizardry and, and, and like you see in Lord of the Rings. That was, was specifically like Sauron and all these beings. Mm-hmm. And the Nazis did the same thing. There was this dark occultism. They weren't just a bunch of assholes. They would do these sick rituals that would that, that would bring entities who were malevolent and demonic in to assist them. Um, like the swastika is supposed to, in Atlantean times, it was, it was the, the symbol of light. Mm-hmm. And then it was turned into the crooked cross. So the, the largest story here is there's always been uh, a cabal of black magicians who have been at a secret war, you know, basically. And that sounds like th- this grand tale. And I'll quickly tell you that Edgar Casey talked about the, the sons and daughters of light versus the sons and daughters of darkness. And the sons and daughters of darkness were led by Belial, right? By Baal, Beelzebub. Mm-hmm. And then at three years after Casey died, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in Egypt. And in it, there is an entire book called The Wars of the Sons and Daughters of Light versus the Sons and Daughters of Darkness. And the leader of the Sons of Darkness in that in that scroll is Belial, which is like WTF in, in itself. But, yeah. You know. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, because it wasn't like he had read it. You know, he hadn't picked it up. Oh, no, exactly. Office. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's and, and that's that's the whole thing. It's like, and there's so much of that, you know, mainly, PR, you know, I know I'm just uh, I'm trying not to be long winded. I'm trying to, to to reel in this 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 large story. But there are traditions, certainly of of advanced technology, genetic ma- manipulation and dark magic. However you want to call, I don't know if you call it my, dark science, I would call it that uh, has created these strange multidimensional forms that seem to be continuing to interface with our reality. And yeah. And I don't like uh, begrudge anyone, you know, how pissed would you be if you saw a UFO or had an encounter of some creature and then some asshole was telling you, you didn't see what you saw. You know what I'm saying? Happens all. Yeah. (laughs) Happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and that's the, you know, I mean, and that's kind of why we started the podcast was to give people a forum to come on and tell those stories so that they felt, you know, it was a safe place. Yeah, I have no fear of being yeah. ridiculed Yeah, because we're here to share information I, and yeah. uh, learn from it. Yeah. No, no, that's great because and that's what I, I feel like. Um, that's what I do. I, you know, I, I look and sound like a guy you place your bet with. I, mean, I understand that, but <laughs> I. I do my homework. I work with professionals. I've organized archaeological digs. I produced and, and ran, you know, a million dollar an episode show, you know, series of shows. I'm not incompetent. You know, I, I do my homework and I try to display that it's, it's okay. In fact, you want to do this shit, you know, 
Mm-hmm. I can't tell you. I did weeks and weeks of, of one, you know, 17 hour day ceremonies that were completely just mind bending and, and just uh, traumatizing. Well, not traumatizing, but like really, really challenging. Uh, I've done all kinds of um, experiments and activities to like push myself and to admit when I'm wrong and self reflect and teach that to my, you know, my son and, and uh, people I deal with, you know, to, to, um, basically disidentify from the separate self, you know, stop taking yourself so seriously and gear yourself towards an evaluation of like, what the hell are you doing in this strange dimension? What is your real nature? Mm. What happened in the past? How can all these coincidences not have a basis in reality and do it in a way that you don't take yourself seriously, but you take your research seriously and you're willing to listen to any side and, and I always go to the skeptical side right away and hear the argument and evaluate it. I never exist in a bubble and try to defend myself. I'm like, okay, no, I'll, I'll hit your side. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, you know what I'm saying? So for you guys to like create a format like that, I, I think it's a service to, uh, to people because, uh, because academics never go in this direction. And when they right. do, they get steamrolled like Robert Temple, one of the most brilliant men I've ever encountered and he's an academic and he's considered a nut, like a pseudoscientist. If you go on Wikipedia and you Google Robert Temple and the serious mystery, it won't say, you know, one of the most brilliant academics in human history, it'll say he's a crank, you know? So yeah, probably defamed him pretty good. <laughs> yes. And, and that is what people fear. Like they, they, um, you know, people shitting on you and, and denigrating you. Cause it's mm-hmm. not just like, I disagree with your hypothesis. It's more like they really try to take it out of you. Like they're cult members that mm-hmm. are, you know, closing ranks and like, it's some ideological war. And I'm like, fuck that. You know, that, that is so infantile and tribal. You like know? you don't even deserve, and to, it, it, you don't oh, even sorry. deserve to even talk about a subject that they know about. You know, it, you're unworthy. Yeah. You know? Isn't it amazing now how they've moved that to our everyday culture as well? <laughs> I mean, literally, I mean, that's what this whole cancel culture thing is. If you don't agree with what the mob feels, well, then, you know, you're not allowed to have. It's not even, a the, it's not even the mob. It can well, take the mob two, is just general people. If you don't agree with to, everybody, yeah. well, then they, they don't want to just yeah. quiet you down. They want to <laughs> literally destroy you, discredit you, and destroy you. Yeah. Uh, there's, yeah, I see the disease in the left and the right. You know, I, mm-hmm. uh, and and you can make there's certainly examples of um, you know like bad science or bad theories on both sides, uh, but I just feel like everybody's adopted this. You know, I I don't want to like get into this too much, but right. like um, there's so so many of my conservative friends, I'm like, you weren't anti-vax your whole life. That was actually an old left wing thing. Like, like my ex is anti-vax for like 30 years and she's like a total lefty. Right. Mm -hmm. And now like Mm -hmm. the fucking mask is like a religious sacrament of the left. You know what I mean? (laughs) People driving around with masks on and nobody's in the car. Yeah. In the car by themselves. Yeah. It's, it's So there's a lot of, (laughs) and, but I'm not the guy who says that. um, I mean, I'm sure it came out of a lab in China and and who knows if it, it, it was, um, you know, like Fort Detrick, we have plenty of these bioweapons all around the planet. Who yeah. knows if it was on purpose or whatever. But um, that doesn't mean that, you know, you, you, you evaluate the science. It seems like if you mm-hmm. get uh, immunized, you probably get a less chance of dying. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, do your, do your own science. But uh, basically, like I vote 
And that's the end of my political discourse, because Mm -hmm. you will never, ever change anybody's mind. And it's all, you know, tribal bullshit. It's not objective analysis anymore. You're right. And yeah, like cancel culture is another example, too. You know, it's like when we were kids, you could fucking say anything about anybody. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even like it was bad natured. It was just language. You know what I mean? Exactly. You're expressing yourself. Well, it's like you it's like you said, though, before in the neighborhood where you grew up. You you had the right to say whatever you wanted to about somebody about anything, but you also had the right to take a butt whooping. Okay, now now you can say whatever you want across cyberspace, and and, and people get all you know get upset and, and yeah, you don't get a butt whooping no, for there's it. There's no anymore. repercussions. No repercussions. No repercussions. I, except, I'll tell a story. Except our buddy I, Tim Loveless, every time he does something on cyberspace nice. he gets he gets taken off of Facebook. <laughs> he'll like that. <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll tell a quick story about technology uh rudolf steiner was this great mystic he talked about Atlantis existing he was like voltaire he was a seminal thinker <clears throat> he came up with the bio biodynamic uh system of gardening uh there are steiner schools like the waldorf school that exist everywhere <clears throat> um i in fact studied with somebody who studied with Steiner in the eighties. His name was John Gardner. He was super old when I met him. But anyways, Steiner said that there was a dark force called Araman. Now, um, in Zarathustran theology, actually, uh, Araman is a, is a dark entity as well. But what Araman represents is cold technology. So my friends who studied, uh, Steiner in the eighties and the nineties, we, we were, Prophetically trying to, um, oh, I'm sorry, Steiner predicted that a cold and dark technology would overtake humanity, but it wouldn't uh, be thrust upon humanity. It would be willfully accepted and wanted. <clears throat> and at first, we didn't know what it would be. We thought it, we would joke and say, oh, it's the fucking helmet. Everybody's going to put the helmet on, right? Or it'd be like some TV that you could never turn off in your house or something, you know? But then we came around to it's going to be something that everybody gravitates towards and wants to accept. And that is the, the phone, the iPhone. Mm-hmm. And when you get on the fucking iPhone, it takes your it takes your consciousness to like the 40th lowest level of the Denver airport where there's a bunch of aliens <laughs> and some, That's very true. <laughs> some generals there, you know, uh, doing a software program to you. It has this insidious effect of of basically dehumanizing you causing like a callous drug addict's disposition that is addicted to the hits, the dopamine hits from posting, from liking, from outrage. Everybody's addicted to outrage. So everybody's preferences have been weaponized by this technology, this dark technology, and everybody is helpless, hopeless, agitated, uh, like never before. Not like when we were kids, you know, growing up in the seventies and eighties and getting drunk and going, you know, breaking the houses, whatever, whatever to do, you know, just like this. Well, you did lifestyle. grow up in a rough neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> but I did do nice stuff. Tell hey, I go fishing. By the way, but, all our apologies to people listening to this podcast on Apple podcast. Um, so don't. <laughs> You're in the grips of Satan's technology. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> keep keep, but I keep know, on the dark side, please. Yeah. I know you guys can at least entertain this idea. And I always felt like, you know, I saw it coming. It was basically predicted by this, this brilliant seminal thinker. And it's played out just like I thought it would. And he predicted it would because I'm not on social media. Um, 
I had a Facebook account, but I just I shut it down a long time ago. I'm like in the witness protection program of ancient mysteries. And I just found it like even when they had a show, I, f- I felt like I was a coke addict when I would post anything. It was always like I was looking for a hit. I was looking for attention. Oh, you know, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it was just an unsavory experience. And I feel like uh, if people step back and realize how addicted they are, and they put the phone down. It's just like sitting on the table and stare at it for four hours and then realize why you want to go back uh, and get another drug hit. And it's just like, you know, you, you get this this feeling like, oh, I just want to check my post or I just want to. And, and you really viscerally try to explain that. And it all boils down to it's just it's an anonymous dopamine hit. Yes. And that and they found that about Instagram and fucking up teenage kids brains and stuff. It's mm-hmm. you're pumping dopamine like you're a hospice patient with a morphine pump. And the side effect is you feel soulless and agitated and disconnected mm-hmm. uh, eventually. So it's really something to think about. And I, I swore off this, the, the I just got this phone here. My brother bought me this burner. I, I don't even have a phone. <laughs> oh, I, I was going to say, now, as I go to do the Instagram post for this episode next week, I'm going to think, <laughs> God, Jim is somewhere just shaking his head going, don't do it, man. Don't do it. <laughs> now, so, so before, and, and I will add, the worst thing I ever did, and I held off for as long as I could, was get my daughters uh, a smartphone. Yeah, you know, and it, like they were like maybe in eighth grade, and it was the and I did not want to do it because I knew what what it was going to do, and it oh, yeah. and it did that, you yeah. know, it did that, it 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 everything that you just described, it it had you know it had a hand mm-hmm. in um, you know affecting how their relationships were with people rather than forming them on a on an organic uh, personal level. It's it's. There's a lot of stuff that's not real. Yeah, it sheds some doubt. Oh, it really does. No, it's totally. It's, it's Bill Belichick. It's like people are concerned about <laughs> these people they don't even know instead yeah. of like the real friends. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, uh, <laughs> well, and, and can you imagine being like a teenage daughter now? You know, talk about all the insecurity you're going to deal with in a, in a fucked up society. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, before know. technology, now it's like, uh, I got a son. I have an adopted son. I took in. He was like severely abused and neglected uh when he was three years old and i was i was like the loving drill sergeant where i didn't allow him to have all the shit of society until the bitter end until he got to be like 19 years old and left the house because i wanted to give him a slice of life that wasn't like a drug addled uh you know search for (laughs) external search for reality which leads nowhere and i think now that he has lived with technology and he has a point of reference. He can reflect back to the golden age where it didn't exist in his life and gravitate towards that. And I feel like, you know, us as parents, we have that obligation to try to instill that in our kids so they have this, this oasis of sanity to, to um, go back to, if you will. But it often kids get in front of screens when they're two or three years old. And I, I'm telling you, man, I think our, our society... I believe in cycles like the yoga cycles, the ups and downs. I think we're coming out of a bottom, but I do think that technology is going to have like a, a kind of a dark and depressing effect um, on this, this current generation for the next couple of decades. Oh yeah. We'll be experiencing Like you said, yeah, probably about for the next, uh, next generation. Yeah. Cause we're, we're going to be the last generation that had 
completely grown up with nothing. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and like you said, we have that frame of reference, that point of reference we can go back to and, um, and realize what was really the good old days. <laughs> somebody's, somebody's tuning in right now. It's like, I thought these fucking guys got to talk about giants. <laughs> well, I tell you, Jim, this is, this has been yeah, one of the no, no. best episodes. Uh, you know, know. He, he told you that we were 200 episodes in. This has been one of the best yeah. episodes of those 200. I, I and he was trying to push to get you on here for so long. And it's like, it has been well you, worth it. You question me as the, All right, well, as the I, it, it has been well worth it. Well, I want before, before before we let before we let you go. I would I do want to ask one question. Like, so what do you see as the next thing that you are going to tackle, or what do you hope to bring to light um, through your you know your study and 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 just you know drive to to bring this stuff out? Excellent question. Um, you know. We just finished uh, second, Hugh Newman and I, Hugh's my buddy. He's, uh, he's on Ancient Aliens all the time. He's the English guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was on a couple of my shows. Um, and we just finished our second book, The Giants of Stonehenge in, in Ancient Britain. I'm working on a book right now that basically tells the story of what I've been talking about, of these high, strange hybrid beings that carry these man bags all around the world. Uh, the, the androgynous nature of the gods who created humanity. Uh, I feel like, once again, I engage in comparative analysis. So I don't have like, oh, I'm this guy or that guy. I look at all the ancient sources, all the visual evidence, and I piece together the story uh, rather than, than basically hypothes- hypothesizing myself. So I think people like that, where they just like it's source after source after source. So I'm writing a book to tell its story, and I'm working on the documentary um, about the Lost Hall of Records in Egypt. Now, Edgar Cayce stated that between that the Great Pyramid of Giza and the complex itself was not built in 2650 BC, but rather in ten, from 10,490 to 10,390 BC, mm. and <clears throat> from survivors from Atlantis. And you say, oh, that's a far-out story? Once again, I'll reiterate, the building texts on the Temple of Edfu say that the Enead, the original nine gods, were all androgynous, and they came from a lost land, the, uh, the land of the primeval ones, in the middle of the Atlantic, destroyed in the flood. That's what it says on the walls of the temple. Three different times it states that these gods are androgynous, and the, 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 uh, the four matching pairs beyond Atum, Osiris, um, Isis on and on. They're all brother and sister and husband and wife, just like Fuxi in China. And they're all androgynous and they're all amphibious on and on and on. So anyways, I'm piecing the story together. And Casey stated that there was a lost hall of records under the right paw of the, of the Sphinx. And it contains records of human history. And it will um, basically lay out history. It will prove the existence of Atlantis. Um, Dr. Robert Schock, the geologist who redated the Sphinx, I've sat on panels with him. I've uh, corresponded with him. He found uh, a cavity under the part of the Sphinx with GPS uh, technology. So I'm trying to get in uh, with my connections with the Egyptian government. And what I'd like to do is do a show that searches for the lost halls of records in real time on the Giza Plateau 
I'm making a documentary, an independent documentary about it now. I'm going back to Egypt um, to meet with my friend Youssef, me and Hugh are going. And Youssef is an Egyptian stone carver whose father was a wisdom keeper, Youssef Awan. He's on Facebook and stuff. He's brilliant. And he believes in a lost civilization as well. And uh, so I think the best way to prove this bizarre case that I've been talking about is to obtain records from the past of Egypt and to see who in fact founded that civilization. So that's my thrust is to move in that direction of proving the case. Uh, Because frankly, geologically, it's tough in the middle of the Atlantic yeah. where it, it's, it's nothing but, you know, the mid Atlantic shelf and lots of devastation. And I think fine records of the civilization um, is, is the way to prove the case. Cause I can't, I can give a lot of evidence, but I can't incontrovertibly prove it uh, until you find the records uh, of the existence of this place. Right. Do you still have to go through that, uh, that antiquitous over there, that Zahi Hawass, or did they remove him? Uh, he's, he is not in the same position. Um, I, in fact, spoke with him and Dr. Mark Lerner at the Casey Ancient Mysteries Conference a couple of years, two years ago. Now, if you, if you talk about interesting karma in past lives, Zawi Hawass, um, his University of Pennsylvania law, uh, archaeology degree was paid for by the Edgar Casey Foundation out at Virginia Beach. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, the Casey, the Casey Foundation uh, collated and supports, you know, all these holistic ideas. He, he was basically the godfather of holistic medicine, but at the uh, Virginia Beach headquarters, they have all his readings. He talks about Atlantis. He talks about hybrids, past lives. Mark Lerner was, is an archaeologist, one of the most well-known uh, Egyptologist, he in fact in the early 70s wrote a book supporting the case. He was a Casey guy and he wrote an entire book that, that laid out the case that uh, that Casey was right and that Atlantis existed. Then he got flipped over to the academic side and became a skeptic. Mm. So all these beings are kind of floating karmically in the, their, this orbit. And I guess I'm in the mix too because I, I always speak at the Casey conference and, and um, I study the Casey material. But Zawi Hawass, I know he, he has a tendency to be an asshole and a blowhard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think he's covering up evidence. The, the thing is, the idea of a lot is a great question, by the way. The idea of a lost civilization is antithetical to the nationalistic beliefs of the Egyptian people. Now, they got screwed over uh, in all their antiquity stolen. And uh, there are there are certain elements uh, that believe that the argument that I'm making is a racist one that to say that the Egyptians didn't weren't the founders of this society 12,000 years ago is a racist argument. And I would say, no, it isn't. Because in Ireland, who built New Grange? If you read the traditions, the Tuatha Dé Danin, these magical beings show up and they build all the stone circles and they build all these you know structures. And then in Peru, it's the same story. The Veracoches, the giants, the, the, uh, these supernatural beings are attributed with the outrageous stonework that you see in Bolivia and Peru and Ecuador. So what I'm saying is that the same types of beings show up around the world. It's not a racist argument. And I work with Egyptians who believe the same story. The only thing I'm saying is that the founding of Egypt is much deeper in antiquity um, than we think by a strange race that kind of showed up. So there's a lot going on. So Hawass is like, 
anybody who talks about Atlantis or Lost Worlds, he thinks it's a racist attack. So he has no interest in entertaining the ideas, which makes it very difficult. But I would imagine that the Egyptian um, government and tourism board, they want more. You know, I love Egypt. I got a lot of friends there. Uh, we work to uncover the story together. You know, um, you know, English expats, <coughs> Egyptian people. So I think it's a kind of cool dynamic. And I hope uh, we can move forward with it and, and get rid of that old kind of stodgy belief about Egyptology. Right, right, right. You know, I I just want to do better in fantasy football in the next year, and you're trying to <laughs> find a lost chamber underneath the right paw of the Sphinx. To <laughs> we want answers. Yeah. I mean, uh, so, so Jim, tell everybody, um, because we will keep, you know, I'll keep an ear out, and hopefully maybe you'll, you'll uh, send me an email if this TV project gets off the ground and you are actually able to pull that off because i mm-hmm. i'm sure our fans would love to uh love to watch that but um tell oh, yeah. tell our tell our uh listeners where they can find your books and yeah yeah uh on amazon uh, i got two books with hugh newman um giants on record which is the story of giants in ancient america and if you like this interview at all uh i think you'll love the book loved because it, loved it there was so much evidence in there. There was so much specific incontrovertible evidence in there. And you, it, because a lot of people, like if you're into Bigfoot, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like you're into it, but you feel a little defensive because you keep pissed because you, people run their mouth and try to like marginalize you and make you look like a fool and you want to knock the teeth out. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I feel like I try to, uh, develop a body of evidence for something that is considered uh, controversial or unattainable scientifically and make the case that most logical people would say, wow. I mean, I get like bank presidents and, and network executives like contacting me, you know, over the last couple of years say, I loved your book. I can't believe how much evidence is there. It's just that the cult of science engages in cognitive dissonance. It's not a uh, like an active, I don't want to deal with this. It's more like it just doesn't fit the paradigm. It just doesn't compute. Right. Uh, it has to be something else because a scientist would never say, oh, the, you know, basically the only controversial thing I am saying is that the universe is big enough to uh, have an advanced race that is above us and that came to Earth in the distant past and created humans out of some of the species that were already here. That's the only con- and then everything. Yeah, I agree with that too. Anybody with with common sense, when you look at the vastness of our universe, and you just look at our own Bible, I mean, it, you got to believe that. You truly do. I, uh, you know, you know, like go to an old parking lot and the grass breaks through. All this universe does is fucking produce life. Yeah. It is the most bizarre and infantile. Mm-hmm. You couldn't stop it if you wanted. There are billions right. of worlds with life on it, and there are the most freakish creatures all over this acid trip of the universe we live in. Mm-hmm. And to claim otherwise is like, it's like Galileo under house arrest. It's the earth is flat. I can't believe scientists, they're so smug and like, oh, I might admit there's like some microbes out there or something because it's like, oh, my friends are going to shit on me at the cocktail party. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it, it's such a lame argument. It's so antithetical to logic and reason. I can't believe that people adopted, but whatever, uh, it, they, they present a good foil for people like us who are trying to like, um, view these things through a different lens. So, so anyways, like I said, I'm, I got no social media presence, but 
I if know, you go I'm to, gonna, I wasn't even going to ask your social media <laughs> well, because I thought we might get struck Meg- down. By it. <laughs> if you go to megalithomania dot uh, uk, megalithomania, okay. that's Hugh Newman's site, and um, our books are there. Uh, we do tours. He has his own YouTube channel. So I have a bunch of talks about giants, Edgar Casey, Atlantis, polydactylism. So I'm also setting up a page, jimviera.com. It'll be up in a couple of weeks. Um, and what I'm making, I'm putting all my videos there. Uh, but I'm also, I do a bunch of metaphysical stuff. Like I'm into, uh, I study the non-dualists like Ramana Maharshi, all the great spiritual masters. And I do the same thing with all the enlightened beings throughout history. I do a comparative analysis of what they say about the universe and time and space, what we're doing here, what our true nature is, and they all say the same specific thing. So I highlight that. I give strategies that I study with my brother and I study with an enlightened spiritual teacher Mm. for the last 25 years, if you can believe that actually enlightened being who lives like a half an hour from me, one of the greatest minds in human history. And we've transcribed our sessions for the last 10 years and gained the insight that he's taught us about, you know, you're not a body, you're renting this, this strange vehicle, you know, disidentify from your separate self and merge with something larger. He gives all these strategies about basically how to holographically view the world and to um, heal all the unconscious weird shit you have trapped in there through like quantum forgiveness and stuff. So anyways, it's a long winded way of saying there's a, there's metaphysical stuff will be there too. If that's your thing, because yeah. I feel that a lot of people who are into ancient mysteries are asking the same questions. They want more peace in their life. Uh, we all have dealt with like really tough traumas and difficulties, and it's good to have uh, an underpinning of philosophy that explains what's going on. Um, like, oh, what the fuck? Why would God cook up a freak show world like this? So why is it? Why would he let people suffer? Or is there a separate being that you would call God? Like, what is going on here? And all those questions are answered by the non-dualists, yeah. by the beings who were perfectly in, enraptured in this blissful state, like Buddha and Jesus and Ramana Maharshi and, and Gandhi. And you're like, mm-hmm. what do these guys get going on? So, But there is a philosophy and a mind training technique that you can do like Gary Renard teaches in the disappearance of the universe to attain these states. So I will just say that I'm, I'm crafting that uh, webpage right now. I get somebody working on it and I will have videos and instructions and, uh, and pointers that I've gleaned from 30 years of metaphysical study with, with this, this teacher uh, that, that I've taught with, I mean, that I've studied with. And so I, I just say this because I, I want to, throw out on the uh the internet <clears throat> a clearinghouse of these sources not only of ancient mysteries and open-minded thinking but of mes- metaphysical stuff something i would have wanted to encounter 25 or 30 years ago mm-hmm. uh because my search like all of our searches has been you know the road has been very difficult there's been a lot of doubts and i am i cannot answer every question in the universe but i can lend my confidence about what our true nature is and that that won't waver. You know what I mean? That it may appear that this idiot is talking to you (laughs) right now, but our real nature is not the bodies that we we are in and the personalities that we have. Those are temporary. Mm. And once you understand that and experience that, which I have in ceremonies and shit, you lose all doubt in a good way. So I like to, you know, 
and I've, I'll, I'll quickly say, like I said, I have, uh, you know, I had a lot of people in my life, you know, with depression and trauma and, and difficulty and a son who, who really struggled. And so I have a lot of empathy for people who deal with mental illness and I want to be as supportive and, and hopefully, um, uh, somebody that people can have confidence in that I went from a kind of a dark and depressed place with the seizure disorder to one of, of where uh, I am basically I've had no depression or anything like that for many, many years. So nice. thanks for entertaining that. Yeah. That's, yeah. Awesome. that's, that's, that's awesome. So, yeah. well, Jim, first off, I'm looking forward to the merch selection on your new website. Cause I, I can see a shirt that says, I'm no scientist. I read Jim Vieira. You know, I, I would love that. I'd wear that one. I'd wear that. Here, here's the thing is, uh, Jim, you're welcome on this show anytime. If there's anything we can do to help you get the word out. He's, uh, he's way too smart, man. If he gets on the show too hey, much, he's taking over. He's, that's, 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 well, well, we, we'd be moving in a good direction, just put it that way. I, I love it. Well, Jim, yes, thank you so much for uh, for uh, for joining us. I mean, this was great, and I hope that our listeners – um, at, that their minds, because I know their minds are blown. There, there's so much good information in this uh, in this time we spent together, and uh, I hopefully people will will really go out, get your books, yes, and become fans of yours like we are. So yeah, exactly. You, yep. I've been made a fan, and I I have to get every <laughs> I have to get every book he's written now, even though he can't read, but he's going to get them. <laughs> I can read, what? believe me. <laughs> Oh, wow. I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll say that. Thanks for the kind words. Uh, if I think the best way to transmit this information is like, you know, a podcast or yeah. uh, I think it's also like go to Megalithomania. I got a bunch of videos like my Edgar Casey ones are really good. I think like, uh, you know, I present all the written evidence, all the documentary evidence. I think if people are interested in these subjects, and they see all the images and, and the minds are open to all these ideas that they'll, they'll really um, um, in, enjoy those types of, of, you know, of ways to download this information. Cause sometimes talking, uh, it doesn't always do it as well, but you know, I wasn't being a prima donna. I think my, I lost my old email. Like I got the tech skills of an Amish preacher. So <laughs> the, the moral of the, the story is that, um, yeah, re reach out in the future, and, and I'll be glad to, to come back on. It wasn't like, um, you know. Well, thank you. Know, we would love that. Yeah. We would love to have you back anytime. Yeah. And it's good, and, and thanks for being open-minded, for especially, you know, being regular guys, um, talking about metaphysical stuff. You know, right. I, I like to think I give permission to, you know, say guys who are more blue-collar to, to really entertain these questions and to be honest about how they feel or if they struggle mm -hmm. with fucking depression yeah. or they're having trouble parenting. Well, we've all been in the same boat and it's healthy to admit when you're wrong and self-reflect, ask for help and, um, and be open-minded. Uh, and, and that's, that's the most important message. I think these things, yep. these topics are very interesting, but at the end of the day, you want like, um, you know, you want to feel comfortable talking about things that are important and, uh, you know, certainly everybody has fucking mental health problems. You yep. can't believe yep. um, how prevalent it is. And I can't, you know, like when we were kids, like you were a loser if you cried or if you went to a therapist. It's like you were living on another planet. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. uh, so I like to convey that message because, um, uh, you know, I want people to have confidence to, to, to come out and, and to seek help if they need it 
or just to reflect on it. You know, we live in a, a very strange reality here. Yep. And I got to say, it's like, you can't, we've been dropped behind enemy lines. If you want the truth, it is like the matrix. In fact, the, the, the Wachowski brothers, they were, they created the story of the matrix through the old Gnostic teachings, right? From the, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Nag Hammadi Scrolls, the old Gnostics were Christian mystics, but they believed that this world is hell and that uh, real, and that's what Plato talks about. We believe that the shadows on the world is like a, is our real experience, but the light or the one outside of time and space is our real home. And we're kind of having a thought experiment like the sons and daughters uh, in the prodigal son story, right? And the thought experiment is like, what would it be like to be separate, right? So it's like, you're over there, you're in a body, geez, everybody I know dies, and yeah, I don't want to get along with anybody, but that's what all these um, sources keep telling us about the nature of reality, mm-hmm. where the mystical sources, the religious sources are saying, no, our real state is outside of time and space in a blissful existence. <clears throat> so you undo your false beliefs about yourself in the world to awaken, if you will, right? That's what the masters do. They awaken. The Buddha awakens. And you're like, what does that mean? He stops believing he's a movie character and he is the all, right? So these ideas, um, you know, that that's what like revelation is all about. Or if you do ceremonies, you jump to the finish line and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this is what I am. And then you jump back and reconfigure into that like strong prison-like belief of the, the small self, right? I'm this tiny loser with these weird and embarrassing thoughts. But the reality is we are the all. We are this benevolent field of oneness. And I've experienced it. I study with a spiritual teacher who lives in that state all the time, if you can believe it. And all the masters lived in that state. And so I can't convey another message that's kind of more important than don't worry, don't take this shit so seriously. You cannot believe what you are in reality. And just don't be reactive to the movie as much, and you will find more and more peace in your life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> and if, if you're Christian, that's what the Christian mystics said, right? The Gnostics, the early Christian, mm. Jesus' teachings are saying exactly that, and the Buddhists. So it isn't a matter of one religion over the other. Every religion, major religion, had a master who became enlightened. Uh, and then the, the the Romans or whoever took that and created like a cultish uh, Orthodox religion out of it that really doesn't follow the tenets of the teacher themselves. So Buddhism, you know, uh, Muhammad was the same way. You see how fanatical Muslims are sometimes now. The mm-hmm. core beliefs of Muslims are just like, uh, you know, Jesus and the Christians and just like the Kabbalah and the esoteric sources of, of the Jewish faith. So get away from the labels don't take this fucking place seriously. Right. That, that's like the greatest message I can give. Like when we're at work, it's just like idiotic jokes. Don't react to the world. Don't be addicted to outrage. The world is hailed in your mind because the mind is a projection of yourself, right? Yeah. Why, when you view an object 20 billion light years away, why does it change at the subatomic level? Because it's coming from you. You are the one mind that is splinted into a misperceiving aspect of being in an individual body. But the reality is you are the mind that has created the entire universe. And you think you're a small, insignificant, weird speck of dust. And you see how that can like poison 
your belief about yourself. If you are the all, there is no, uh, there, there is nobody to, um, you know, basically <clears throat> bow to, if you will, or, or, or um, there is no force out there that is against you. It is basically a self-deluded creation that you can fix, but you fix it not by condemning. Like if I were to condemn you guys, I because there was only one mind, all my bad thoughts would come back at me unconsciously. Mm-hmm. That that's yeah. like the ultimate message of yeah. all these, right? Yeah. That holographic right. reality. So yeah. you know that's the greatest message is like treat others the way you would want to be treated, not because you're a fake good guy, because it is a metaphysical principle, a holographic reality. Then you are unconsciously telling about yourself. You are not on the hook for anything you've done. You are li- you are living in a in a virtual reality temporary state. You know you basically forgive the world through the mind and how you see others. And I say this to tie into everything we talked about. That's why technology is in, is antithetical to that for the most part. Uh, looking for a hit, addicted to outrage, those things really destroy your peace and and. You know, hopefully this makes sense for people. And and, and, and uh, this is what I learned from my teacher. And it's changed my life uh, so much uh, by following these principles. So yep, <laughs> I, I really know. Thanks for indulging me. I feel like I'm I'm a recovering Catholic. So I'm always like, oh, shit, am I taking too much time? But I really like that. You let me go off on that uh, rant. Yeah. Hey, listen, <laughs> uh, listen, that last part, I think that's a good way for everybody that that's, is listening to this episode to go spend the rest of their day yeah. and think that's about. a good way to end it right yeah, there. A good way to Nothing think. else needs to be said. Yeah, good way to, good way to, good way to spend the rest of the day and, and some good stuff to think about. Yep. For sure. So, but, uh, but thanks again, Jim. And it was a pleasure. And, and look, I can't wait to hear what people have to say about this. Yeah. Yeah. And look forward to uh, talking to you again in the future. Yep. Yep. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. Even on your awesome, birth, yeah. even though you're trying to hide, we'll be in touch. <laughs> I'm definitely trying to hide. No, no. No, I, I, as you can see, I'm into it. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not like, um, <laughs> I'm a freak, but. Uh, <laughs> all, I, all I can say is this best episode in over 200 episodes. That's all I got to say. <laughs> it, it, no, no, the I, highest I'll praise this, right there. Thank you. And I'm not, and it's not like, oh, I'm the big hero once again. Like I said, I, I. I can't take care of my basic needs and I live in a 10 by 14 hut and have no possessions. But I, um, I think that these ideas that we've talked about just ring true to people. And that's why you would say something like that. Like, Oh, this is a really good episode because we are tapping into the questions that everybody have. And we're discussing it a way that makes sense that, that rings intuitively true mm-hmm. because if you understand Jungian's collective unconscious, we are sharing one mind. Yep. So you interface with beings and you, you bounce off information that's intuitively true to you. So it just like snaps, like, like when you meet people and you're like, Oh my God, I feel like I've incarnated with this being before. Like we keep orbiting in each other's lifetimes through different um, lifetime after lifetime. And, and, so that that's what I feel like. This information, uh, it's like, um, like uh, I'll quickly say that the entertainment world and everything like that it leaves people so high and dry and feeling like just like none of my questions is being answered. There's no inspirational material here, and this stuff we're talking about I just think resonates with people, and I hear it a lot. I hear like, 
wow, that that was great. That information really, you know, resonated with me. So I hope yeah. your your listeners feel the same way. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> sure, I'm sure they will. Yep. I'm sure they will. So all right, Jim, we'll sign off now. And um thanks again. Awesome. Thank Take you. care, guys, and yep. just reach out anytime. Yep, take it easy. Yep. Mm. All right. All right. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. <laughs>